Hey, Anna, how are you liking the weather this year so far? More snow. I need more snow. Need more snow? Well, yeah, it's a new year and with a lot going on in the skies. So I thought who better to give us the full rundown of what to look forward to than our old friend, meteorologist and astronomy enthusiast, Joe Rao. Joe, so what's your number one cool astro event that you're looking forward to in 2022? Actually, it's an event which uh, moi <laughs> is predicting for uh, the end of May. Oh, oh. I uh, spent about a year writing a technical paper, research paper, about a comet that blew itself apart back in 1995 into more than a few pieces. In fact, the pieces themselves are crumbling out there in space. And uh, based upon calculations, the Earth is expected to pass through that area of debris at the end of May, on the night of the 30th and 31st of May. And if we hit it just right, we could have an outstandingly uh, spectacular meteor shower where we might see dozens, scores, hundreds, dare I say maybe over a thousand meteors per hour. And that is expected to happen uh, in the eastern time zone at approximately 1 a.m. on the morning of May 31st. Again, if we hit it just right, we could be in for quite a show. And we will, of course, call it Meteor Shower Rayo, right? I mean, from now on, it'll be, uh, you'll get the name on it. Actually, the, the shower already has a, a name. It's called the Tau Hercules because uh, the, the meteors back in the early part of the 20th century came from the constellation Hercules. Although this go around, the meteors may actually fire out from the constellation of Uotes, the herdsman near the bright star Arcturus. So Ooh. I'm banging the drums. I want everybody to be <laughs> ready for this potential uh, meteor display. And two other special events are the eclipses of the moon. We're going to have a total eclipse of the moon on the night of the 15th and 16th of May, right in the middle of the night, perfectly placed in time for all of North America. And there'll be another total eclipse of the moon that will happen on the 8th of November. That, however, will be hitting totality just as the moon is setting along the eastern seaboard of the United States. But if it's clear, those two events, too, should be very interesting and very spectacular. Well, wish you all clear skies. And uh, wherever Joe goes, it's always sunny and clear. So uh, we'll just, we'll have to, you'll have to let me know where you end up on those key dates. But lots of cool things to look up for uh, this year. From the studios of Cincinnati Public Radio, I'm Dean Regas, and this is Looking Up. We're both from the oldest public observatory in the United States, the Cincinnati Observatory, where we get to share the wonders of the universe with thousands of people every year. And now we're doing the same with this podcast. We love talking to astronauts, scientists, authors, and other colorful characters about topics like astronomy and space science. A big thanks to Joe Rao for giving us the Space Weather Report. But our guest today is retired astronaut and best-selling author of the new book, the Apollo Murders, Chris Hatfield. So you just heard from one of our past guests. Thanks for coming back, Joe. And where can we find more of your work in 2022? Oh, well, uh, anybody who wants to look me up, I'm on Facebook. Joe Rayo Weather is my uh, tag. I also have a, a Twitter account using the same thing, Joe Rayo Weather. And if you want to watch an interesting uh, internet show, 
I team up with an old friend of mine who's also a meteorologist, retired meteorologist, Joe Chiaffi. And on his YouTube channel, uh, most weeknights at around 7.30 Eastern time, we have what we call the Joe and Joe Weather Show. And we talk for a, at least a half to sometimes a solid hour about nothing but weather and weather outlooks and potential storms coming. And we have a very lively audience on our Zoom chat board. So if you want to uh, tune in, you have to go to Joe's uh, YouTube channel, Joe Chiaffi, C-I-O-F-F-I. Uh, and uh, you can find the Joe uh, and Joe Weather Show there. So if you're into weather and you want to learn all about weather, uh, the latest up-to-date uh, weather conditions, tune us in. Well, thanks, Joe. So, Anna, I cannot believe it, but this is our 100th episode. Can you believe it? I'm th thrilled. I'm excited. I'm shocked. It's so many emotions. I know. How in the world did we make it this long on this uh, <laughs> this, this format? Well, I wasn't thinking like that. Not, oh. I guess I meant like, I'm, <laughs> like, how have they kept us around? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, people just want to hear our friendly voices they and do. talk about space. I love it. Well, and uh, we've seen a lot of things in space over the past few years. We had eclipses, we had conjunctions, we had uh, the comets, we had all this cool planetary stuff, space launches. Rich people going into space, <laughs> all kinds of things happening. Yeah, and um, definitely lots of interesting guests. I mean, like when you look about, uh, you know, our, at our our guest list, it's like a who's who in astronomy, uh, authors, astronauts, mm -hmm. scientists. So it's true. Uh, I want to know who is like who stands out as being some of the coolest guests that we've talked with. Well, I mean, like you said, there are so many, and we've been so lucky to have some great folks. I mean, I would say Shankar Vedantam um, from Hidden oh, yeah. Brain, amazing. Um, Ellen Stofan, who now, she was running the Air and Space Museum. Now she even has a bigger job, I believe, with the Smithsonian. I mean, she's like, of course, Michael Bogic, hilarious, charming, fun. And my, Oh, by the way, he, uh, he, he, he still, I talked to him, and he's still knows that he won the star pronunciation contest. He did, legitimately, with no influence from me. He just happened to win. Right, so. and I did tell him that he did figure out the the formula to winning any contest on our podcast. Yeah. That is to flatter you, yeah. Anna. And he comes back with, well, of course, she is the best of you. So I thought that was pretty good. Did Michael, I mention he's my favorite? That's right. Exactly. That's all I need is for someone to realize my worth. <laughs> so you're well, right. And, and, and having Shankar Vedantam on was really great because I listened to his podcast, Hidden Brain. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was like binge listening to Hidden Brain on my road trip out to Grand Canyon and just his voice. What is it? I don't know what it it's is like, about his voice. I just. And do you remember he was like a few minutes late to and he was like the most like <laughs> calmest, like apologetic, like you just wanted to be like, uh-huh. It does. Anything you're saying sounds fine to me. Like that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. He was amazing. Um, and I have to say, and I obviously want to hear your favorite guest too. My, my favorite for the funniest, literally I belly laughed during this interview and quirkiest guest would be Kevin Bruns, who was a test Subject? What's the right word? It's a subject, I guess, with NASA. Yeah. His style. And he was in studio, which I also thought was really fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, so he was retelling his tale <laughs> as a NASA test subject where test, he right. would be go under these NASA, like Apollo or like astronaut training things right. as somebody who will never, ever go to space. Right. And they're just like, like 
Do you mind giving us three months of your life and we'll do tests on you? You mind laying on a on a bed right. like at a certain angle to simulate zero gravity? And, and like, he was like, yeah. let's do this. Wearing special sure. shoes that like you're not allowed to take home with you, but you think you can't. That's like right. honestly, that was I mean, the whole yeah. I mean, we've had so many, I mean, so many great guests. Um who are well, some of your when, favorites? Oh. Well, I gotta give one more Kevin yeah, Brun absolutely. story. Yeah, I mean, we have a whole the, show about Kevin's story. And so He's Kevin, great. I hope you're listening. Because yeah, I mean, Kevin. yeah, you're making this we we wanted to actually replay your episode. We do. I still want to. I think we I think I even told him that I wanted to do that and we still need to. Yeah. We'll get, we'll, we'll it was the day that, that he you know, he gets out of off the plane, he gets out of the airport <laughs> and an unmarked white van picks him up to take him to God knows where to do God knows what. And he's like Cool. (laughs) And he told the story like so like, and then I got in the van and then he was like, I never ride back to the hotel. Yeah. I didn't have shoes. I I didn't have anything. I honestly um, could not control myself. It was the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. He has such a great delivery. NASA, NASA picked the right guy for that one. They did, but they could have given him the shoes. Yeah. (laughs) Something like that. Oh my God. I love it. But beyond Kevin's, yes. which was definitely memorable in my mind too. Like I, you know, I guess my top ones mm-hmm. were I think probably one of the really top ones for me was when we talked to the author Andrewian, the mm-hmm. uh, you know, that was amazing. from Cosmos. And I mean, it was like yeah, I mean, she was just such a cool, calming personality. Also, somebody like you're you're talking to, and she was like in between interviews when Cosmos was coming out, and mm-hmm. so she was super busy, but still like taking time to ask how we're doing. She and did, just, yeah. It was yeah. So she was just she really, was uh, uh, and so the, the whole Cosmos series has really turned out great, and I think it's a large part due to her. That's for sure. For sure. Um, Agreed. For for high energy and for like excitement, I don't think we can beat Dr. B. I mean, this it's is true. Uh, Dr. Bertley from COSI, Cosi up in Columbus. I mean, he's got this uh, program called QED with Dr. B. I mean, like after we talked to him, I felt like I could do anything. Like I he know, was right? like, I mean, I was like, man, so uh we got to go. We got to make that trip up to Kosai here and go see Dr. B. Oh my gosh. I think that would be so fun to do a little reunion with Dr. B. I'm sure he'd be like, what are you doing here? No, actually right. I don't. I think he'd be like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Like he oh. was so charismatic, like even over, over the fu- over a zoom. Amazing. Yeah. So for folks who want to go back and wa- uh, listen to some of these, this is the the top ones. I, I you know, I'll have to throw in Ira Flato, of course, yeah. was really great to talk with too. Um, I mean, he's just like seen so many space stories and science stories in general and just has like this real genuine curiosity, which you don't find everywhere. I mean, it's uh, I mean, he you can we always tell the people that find found their callings in life. Um, uh, I mean, and I got a little chuckle about uh, the Griffith Observatory director Ed Krupp was another delightful person to talk to as well. And I told you that I went out to visit them, right, at the Griffith Observatory. Yes. And you, like, had to sign a special book or something? I did. Okay, so I guess I've told the story. No, no, but tell it again, But for those that haven't heard this story, I love this was, story. yeah, I, I go out to the Griffith Observatory. I tell Observatory, it for you sometimes. And it is the most, I mean, Cincinnati Observatory is the most beautiful building in the city yes. of Cincinnati. But 
I'm sorry, the Griffith Observatory is just on this whole another level. I mean, just the Art Deco. I mean, I was like totally, totally swept up into the whole Griffith Observatory vibe Nine. and the Hollywood Hills there and the the white building. And so uh, Dr. Krupp was, you know, showing me around and he's like, you got to sign in the guest book. I was like, oh, okay, I'll sign in the guest book. And who is two steps above me on the guest book? None other than Brad Pitt was on the guest book. Amazing. Who was the between was, you and Brad Pitt? I want to know. I don't know. I guess like some, okay. some, some nobody. Curious. It's just me and Brad Pitt. <laughs> you and Brad Pitt hanging out. Me and Brad Pitt. I'll have to look at the picture. But um, yeah, because I, I, of course, took a picture of me signing the thing. with Yeah. So I was two steps removed from Brad Pitt. That's That uh, was close. Um, <laughs> but but then we've got astronauts, too. I mean, we've talked to, I mean, what are they? Who, who are we? Boy, we've talked to tons of astronauts. We really have. They're always amazing. We talked to uh, Janet Cavandi, mm-hmm. uh, Jessica Meir, well, Scott Kelly. We had Scott Kelly in the studio talking to him. That as was well, yeah, that was incredible about his experiences living one year on uh, on the space station, and Charlie Bolden from NASA, mm-hmm. also former astronaut. Those were all really good. Yeah, um, I also feel like we have like friends of the show now, like like um, you know. James Albury obviously is, you know, um, our our yeah, my former uh, Stargazer co Stargazer co-host, um, also and frequent guest, frequent guest, always wonderful contributor, um, and Lauren Worley, our friend um, who used to be the uh, press secretary for NASA, is a major space enthusiast, has helped us with a lot of um, getting a lot of our great guests. I mean, I just feel like we have like little little buddies of the show, like people that like, you know, are sort of, they get it and they're, they're oh, yeah. amazing. And I of, think so too. It's, which is awesome. And of course, Josh at VXU, great job producing the show. And we've got Kevin. I mean, such a great team. And we're all, we're all obviously like out of this world, great hosts. I mean, obviously. Is that well, weird? I hope we, we put on a good show and uh, <laughs> we asked, we asked some pretty, softball questions but i yeah. try to throw in a crazy one there every once in a while um and so well let's see for our next hundred yeah i don't know who who we'll have to ask the audience here who do you think we should go after i mean Ooh, yeah um you know we did get william shatner i think we got uh, beekman we got beekman i would you know i would love to talk to george takei <gasps> i think that would be a great yeah. one to talk to I'd love to talk to Bill Nye. I think he would be interesting. Bill Nye would be interesting for sure. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to but, Brian May. Well. Hello. Right. Hello. I mean, yeah. So uh, uh, I think, should we give him a little teaser on what's coming uh, uh, next? Yeah. Let's do. <laughs> Why not? Well, I mean, we're going to be having, oh my gosh, I'm super excited about who we have coming up here next. I mean, I we're going to be talking to the astronaut Chris Hadfield. I mean, ah! woo, it's a good way to kick off a 100th episode, don't you think? Um, I do. And literally without context for this interview, I just watched a YouTube video of him like talking to like BuzzFeed or somebody. I mean, he is like legit. Now, they're all legit. All the astronauts are but he is i mean he's everywhere and he's, i'm so excited to hear what he has to say he's just the coolest and i'm not generally a, a fan of mustaches but even he <laughs> is convincing me that maybe i could pull off a mustache well you've got the sort of rest of it the beard is sort of 
I don't want to say it's coming in because it's not, but it's sort of <laughs> there's a little scruff of something happening. It's I haven't a seen it in about thing. a week, so I guess is this going to be like is this a thing? I don't know. We'll see if we'll I see. get a mustache going. Yeah, a by mustache the end of the fine. Month. A Hadfield inspired mustache. I can get. I mean, with. he's he's gonna he's gonna convince me if I just see him on the Zoom, <laughs> like when we're doing the recording. I'm just gonna be like, man, I can. I totally got to get a mustache. Your upper lip hairs will just tingle and come out just a little bit. Just see. I, I think so. I think <laughs> these are the kind of tart hitting questions you're you should be looking forward to oh coming up gosh. here. I can't wait. I'm looking to him. up. That's right. <laughs> Okay, are we closing this one out? I think that should do it. Yeah, that's good. So, we, excuse me, who was along? I don't think we need the top five things. I, yeah, I don't know if Josh, what do you think? Do we need any more for this episode? Do we need a. <laughs> His or, interview I was like can, 25 minutes long. I think we could break up the interview into two sections. I think so. I think that what makes do you I don't want to like dilute it. It was so good. Yeah. yeah. So in between multiple space missions, recording music, hosting a TV show, and much more, our guest, Colonel Chris Hadfield, has managed to write four books and is here to talk about his impressive career and latest book, The Apollo Murders. Colonel Hadfield, or Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Dean and Anna, it is a delight to be talking to both of you. Thank you. <laughs> Well, we're really excited to have you on here. You have to be one of the most recognizable astronauts on the entire planet. I mean, how did you come from your humble Canadian roots to this lofty, stellar position? I mean, what did you tap into as as an astronaut? Um, well, it's something I dreamed about since since I was a kid watching you know Star Trek and, and then watching the reality of people fly in Apollo. And, you know, think uh, the risks that those people took, but also the, the public awareness that went along with it and the way it changed people's perceptions of themselves, you know. And so I think even when I was that little kid, uh, nine or ten years old watching that, I was thinking, wow, if, if I ever get a chance to do something like fly in space or command a spaceship, then, uh, then I'm not going to keep it to myself. You know, I'm going to try and share it and, and, you know, write about it and talk about it and sing about it and, and let other people, as many people as possible, come along for the ride. And, and so I really think I, I learned that from Apollo. That's great. I mean, not only are you very well known, but you're also an author, which we're definitely going to get into in just a minute, but a singer as well. And I wanted to ask about the, I believe it was in 2013, where you performed Space Oddity on the ISS, and David Bowie even commented in, on it, which is so cool. And I just wanted to kind of ask, have you, a couple things, have you always been musical and creative, and, and what inspired that performance yeah, my mom is a very good musician. My brothers and sisters are. I've always been a musician. I play several instruments, and I fronted bands for the last 30 years. And wow. um, so, yeah, music's a big part of life, right? No matter where you are, even if you're on a spaceship. <laughs> and um, I, I wrote and recorded an album of original music while I was on the space station on my third space one. At night, when I was supposed to be sleeping, I was writing and recording <laughs> music, just using GarageBand on my iPhone and, and just floating the microphone weightless in front of me. And, um, and so I'd lay down the guitar tracks and then put the vocal tracks. And, and um, when I started sending that down to earth, um, 
and people realized there was someone recording music off the planet, uh, there was kind of an internet uh, buzz of, hey, you ought to do, you know, Space Oddity. That's a real famous space song. And mm-hmm. so uh, my son pointed that out to me. And he was helping me with a lot of the social media. And, and so I did an audio track, and then I put the guitar underneath, and then some friends on Earth put all those instrumentals under. And, and then my son said, Dad, you got to do a video, really. Otherwise, no one's going to believe where you did it. So I... Um, so then I did the video one Saturday, just floating around. He edited it all together. And it's amazing. Hundreds of millions of people have seen that video. Hundreds of millions. And so I, I think they see and understand spaceflight differently than, than if I hadn't done that music. And, and Bowie, as you did say, you Bowie loved it, which was, he always on? wanted was to Was this your one personal <laughs> item or did it, thrill was it collapsible? That, uh, How did you get that, that up there? I got there? to know David Bowie a little bit and, and, uh, and that he really loved my version of his song. Um, there have been guitars, guitars in space since the 1970s. The, the Russians put one up on one of their early space stations. I helped build Russian space station Mir uh, using space shuttle Atlantis back in the 90s. They had a guitar up on Mir. And the Americans learned from that. Uh, NASA learned from that because music is really important psychologically to people. Try and go a day with zero music. You know, it's hard. And so um, it was the NASA psychiatrists that put the guitar on the space station in the summer of 2001. It's been there, So it's been there for uh, 20 and a half years. Uh, I don't know how many times around the world that is, but uh, and it's a nice, it's a slightly subsized guitar. It's, it's actually a Canadian guitar by coincidence made by Larry Vay out in Vancouver, but it's a Larry Vay parlor guitar. And it's, and it's you nice. mentioned it, being it's the front man for several and bands. I got to ask, what are the names of these bands? So we can look guitar, them up and so see if there's really any videos out there. We got to see these going back. What, what are the names of the bands? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, well, there's an all astronaut band uh, called called Max Q that I, I played bass and guitar oh and fronted for years. Um, and uh, let's see, I was in a, a Celtic band called Estevanique. And I'm in sort of a world acoustic band right now called Vandela. And and I actually tour with Bowie's band with uh, Mike Carson or Earl Slick. I, I've toured be, you know, before the pandemic. I toured with those guys and played oh with gosh. them. And, and, the, and I've co-written with several That's bands. Called, uh, I don't know, Rock the Star. Naked Ladies. Uh, he does it all. And Theory. we have to I've talk about your new book. With your, those guys. your new book yeah, goes yeah, Pushing music. Boundaries it's, it's, uh, Once yeah. Again. It's a fun You've thing to be able a, to do. A fiction thriller. Tell us about the Apollo murders. Yeah, it's an international bestseller uh, in the New York Times and number one bestseller of all fiction books in Canada. You know, it's amazing. Um, It's a thriller fiction, alternative history set in 1973 for what just might have happened. But almost everything in the book is real. I I chose real events and real people. And then I I twisted this plot in amongst all of those things uh, so that uh, so that it was as believable as it could possibly be. And it's Apollo 18 
um, Nixon, in order to be able to fund Apollo 18, has has uh, allowed the military to have some participation, sort of like they did with the space shuttle. And uh, and then they're, they're, the Soviets had this secret spy space station for real at the time called Almaz. And uh, and so this mission goes from Earth to Almaz to the, to the moon. And then uh, the whole big climax scene back at Splashdown just north of Hawaii. But yeah, it's uh, the book is is already in gosh uh, fourteen or fifteen languages, I think, and and yeah, it's it's delightful for a first time fiction author. It's my fourth book, but but still, first time writing fiction. It's just been delightful to see just how well received and how how well the book's doing. Um, and in several of the rave reviews that I have uh, seen, the book is really praised for its you know vivid dis- depictions of traveling to space and being in space and. Di- you know, which is obviously a, a great perspective you can provide as, a, as an author. Do you find it difficult or did you find it difficult to put that experience into words or when you're writing to be able to encapsulate it in that way? Uh, Anna, as a Canadian astronaut, there's not very many of us. And so I've, <laughs> I, I got asked to speak in, in a lot, and Canada is a big country, in a lot mm-hmm. of places, many, many, many times, hundreds, maybe a thousand times to go talk at schools and universities and businesses and the United Nations and everywhere. And um, after a while, I realized, uh, you know, there are certain things that people are curious about. And, and what's it like? And they really want to know the the visceral side of things. You know, how do you react to everything? What's it mean to you? How do you feel? What does it look like? And when you're writing um, nonfiction, you, you can be sort of descriptive of it. But when you're writing fiction, you know, all the all the the bars are removed. You know, you can just write everybody's guttural, uh, visceral reaction to everything. And, and you can write it from different personalities' point of view. So that really um, gave me a chance to truly let people know what spaceflight is like by writing fiction. So it, so it was a lot of fun. And um, I had to learn how to do it, like, any, like everything else I've learned how to do in my life. You know, mm-hmm. the, I, I was a, a Cold War combat fighter pilot, and, and I was a test pilot with the Air Force and the Navy. Um, and, and, you know... And learn to speak other languages. I was NASA's director over in Russia, you know, so all those things you have to learn how to do. And so I, I, uh, I studied it and the authors that I really respect and Stephen King wrote a great book called On Writing, which is very helpful. And, and mm. so I looked through all those, and, but then I reread the really good uh, thriller fiction books, you know, like uh, The Eye of the Needle and, and uh, The Day of the Jackal and books like that to, to, to just sort of clinically look at how did those folks write those books? How did they make that work? And, and so with all of that in my head, I sat down and wrote The Apollo Murders. And, um, and so, but it's a huge gamble, right? It's like mm-hmm. a launch. Um, so, so now to have the book so well received and so many people interested in what we're going to do with the story, you know, we're going to make a movie or something out of it. And, 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 you know, I'm writing the next book in the series now because, uh, because everyone's pretty uh, excited about the first book, so so yeah, it's uh, I, I didn't. I've always enjoyed writing, but I, I'm sure would have been pretty arrogant to think that I was going to be doing this at this stage <laughs> of my life. Ooh, maybe a, a prequel, the uh, the Gemini murders, and then the Mer- the Mercury murders <laughs> before that. <laughs> oh, there, it's it, you know actually the early seventies, fascinating time with what was going on with Nixon's administration and Watergate and. Um, 
the end of the Vietnam War and the civil rights movement, and then we you know where it was at that stage of development, and um, and then obviously the Cold War itself and the real tensions and the Bay of Pigs and uh, you know back in the early 60s, but where that was leading to in the early 70s. So this, the early 70s, 73, 74, right at the end of the uh, Nixon and, and heading into Ford, really interesting time no matter what. And so to be able to write dialogue for Kissinger and, and dialogue for Nixon and, and Brezhnev over in, in the Soviet Union and, and squeeze all that stuff together, it's really fun. I've learned a whole bunch you know, because I want the book to be absolutely factual on everything that matters and then the story to, to squeeze in there as if it had to be. And uh, so it's been a great joy to to be the person that's putting it all together into a story for people. Well, and, and you've been into space how many times? Three times. I, I flew uh, Space Shuttle Atlantis to help build uh, the you know, Soviet space station, what became the Russian space station Mir. And then I flew on Space Shuttle Atlantis as part of the flight crew to help build the International Space Station, did a couple spacewalks. And then on my third flight, I was the pilot of a Russian rocket, uh, I was the pilot of the Soyuz rocket ship, and then uh, lived on the space station. I was the I was the commander of the International Space Station, and so all told, about half a year off the planet. When with all that time away, I mean, you're you're you're. I, I, I'm I'm curious about your your final days. You know, you're on the ISS. Your last couple days there, and you're you're. I'm just I'm wondering, you know, as you're flying back home for the last time, you know, what's what what was going through your mind there as you you say goodbye to the ISS and you you head back to Earth? Uh, Dean, four days before I was supposed to come home, the space station sprang an enormous ammonia leak and we started bleeding the main coolant of the whole ship out into space. And we had to scramble like you wouldn't believe and do an emergency spacewalk and depressurize and do all that to save the whole space station. Because uh, without cooling, you know, it, you wow. couldn't ever live there, and so it was just this this sprint to the finish to try and get all that stuff fixed. But um, we we got the leak stopped. We replaced the big pump modulation system, uh, and uh, and then had to turn around on you know on a dime and jump into our Soyuz and try and remember how to fly a spaceship after five months. You know, a little, and and then sort of it's it's peaceful. Yeah, undocked from the space station after the big rush. And now it's going to take a couple hours of, of maneuvering and getting away and then firing your thrusters uh, and then um, starting to plummet down through the atmosphere. It's actually a really lovely couple hours to contemplate just what's happened in your life and where you are and what, what does this mean? And, and you're still doing something hugely dangerous and complicated that almost nobody in history has ever done, you know, to, to pilot a ship down through the atmosphere and safely land. But the moment that, you know, the big parachute opens, which is, you know, a relief. Um, and then when you thump into Earth, because in uh, Russia they land on the ground, you thump into the dirt, roll to a stop. And, um, and as we rolled to a stop, the vehicle was on its side. And my window, I was on the left side, was in the dirt. And suddenly there was Earth, literally Earth in my window. And, and I realized, you know, these are huge, amazing experiences that I've had over my three flights. And it's a little bit maybe like coming out of the pandemic, right? You've been, it, it's been weird and, and sequestered and separate and different from the rest of your life. And now what do you, you know, when things open back up again, you got to get back with your family that you maybe not seen for a long time and, 
and technology's moved along and you've learned some interesting things. So, so it was a big watershed time. And, and yeah, but that, that's why I've been doing all these other things since. You know, I help run several space companies and, and I run a big technology incubator and I teach at university. And I, as you mentioned, I've done several TV shows, a National Geographic series and a BBC series and such, um, as well as writing, you know. And, and so uh, those were the sort of things I was thinking about as, as the earth was back in my window. Okay. I, I'm so, real quick aside. I have a, a three-year-old daughter, and we're talking about. There's a point to this. Uh, a three-year-old daughter. We're talking about putting her in a in a big girl bed for her to sleep at night through the night. And I literally said to my husband this morning, "I can't handle this stress right now." And when you just told that story, uh, Colonel, about being on the ISS and it's leaking this important like like literally, I realized how stupid that I sounded this morning when I couldn't talk about a three year old sleeping in a big room. I mean, I literally like that that story stressed me out, and you just told it so smoothly. And then this beautiful sort of bring it back about coming back to earth that was. That was really, I needed that. That was a really good perspective. Hey, Anna, <laughs> Anna, my third my third book is a children's book called The Darkest, The Darkest Dark. And it's oh how God, not oh to be afraid, especially when you have your own bedroom for the first time. Um, and, and I oh really, my God, you gosh. know, my first book is, is about how to lead a better life as an adult. Mm-hmm. And my second book is just a book of pictures from space. But the third one, I, it's really important as a little kid to know that fear is all right. But what, mm-hmm. how you react to fear and what the difference is between fear and danger, they're not the same thing. You know, understanding that early in your life is really important. And The uh, the Darkest Dark has, has been an a international bestseller as well. So it may help your daughter as she's starting to move into her big girl bit. I, I might have to get that because, yeah, she's definitely in, into her feelings where she'll say, I feel scared or I feel sad or I feel what So, But that's great. And I just uh, thank you. I'll definitely have to check that out. But I, I'm sorry. I just had to like, I literally am laughing at myself because that story about the ISS needing like major repairs and then this, you know, but it's, I guess it's all relative, but um, that that's incredible that you were able to just hop on out there for that emergency spacewalk and fix it. So, wow, that's amazing. Um, and I will definitely check out that book. That's it's why we train for our whole lives, you know, and obviously, uh, the, you know, not everybody's a professional astronaut. You can, you can now ride to space as a tourist, uh, which is, which is fine, right. you know, mm-hmm. but we need to regulate it, but still, um, but you know, the, the vast majority, like the people up on the space station right now, it's it's what they do for their whole adult lives. And we take it super seriously. So when the space station does start spewing ammonia, um, we're the only people that can save the day. And and so, you know, we trained for, I trained, I, I was served as an astronaut for 21 years, you know, and trained every day just to be ready for moments like that. And that's the real joy of it. Because it doesn't overwhelm you. You've actually built the capability to do something as as uh, hard and different as that. There's a great satisfaction to it. And a lot of ideas of if you can prepare for that, then how did you do that? And how can other people maybe learn from those ideas and prepare for the things in their own life? And, and, and so that, you know, that's part of... Uh, an astronaut's life, but also it's the phase of life I'm at now afterwards and how to share those ideas with people. Well, uh, I often say that, you know, astronauts are the the best of us. I mean, they have this certain drive to them, the certain uh, inexhaustible curiosity, energy, uh, ability, all this. Uh, and 
I, I think for one of the the big stories from last year I, that really galvanized, or at least definitely gave people lots of things to think about, and of course I heard lots of opinions on this, is the idea of private space travel. Uh, I, you know, I think it was it was one of the top space stories of the year, and that people kind of went around and said, "Well, okay, you know, there's folks going to space. Is this mean I'm going to go to space soon? Is William Shatner going to space a thing? Is that cool? Is it?" Uh, I'm curious what you think. Is is uh, uh, private space companies offering rides into space? What, what's your take on that? It's the natural progression. It's like, you know, if you look at the Wright brothers in December of 1903, um, you know, that was wildly dangerous and they crashed. One of them just about lost his life uh, crashing that early airplane. And it took a long time and a lot of a huge amount of government investment uh, with uh, the First World War and then the formation of NACA, which is the predecessor for NASA. And you know, after all of those decades of a huge amount of investment and development and people willing to take risks, suddenly it opened up commercial air travel. And now we take it for granted that, that you know, it's going to be safe and reliable and fast. And, and so we're just sort of in the early stages of that transitioning from the Wright brothers phase, which is what I've been part of now through to maybe the earliest airline phase about 1921 or something, you know, still risky and dangerous and, and unregulated. And, you know, we're figuring it out, but uh, it's, it's a natural progression. And we, we, I'm not sure any of the new companies have the right business model, you know, but most of the early airlines didn't either. It takes time. But um, we've got to figure out how it's going to fit into society. I mean, cars were the same. Transitioning from horses to cars in 1912 was nuts for most of the cities. And it took a long time to get the right regulations to make cars safe and integrated properly. So we'll get there. And um, I'm excited by it. It's there's still an enormous universe to explore for professional astronauts. And, you know, we, we're just these vehicles are just getting us to orbit. So it's not like there's any shortage of work, you know, space goes on forever. So, uh, so no, I, I, I um, we've got to decide what we, what to do with this technology and we'll sort it out, but it's just kind of fun and interesting right now. I don't know if you caught that, but he almost said they don't have the right stuff. It was close. <laughs> you almost said it, Chris. It was real close. But you, uh, anyway, uh, just a sign. I noticed it. I don't know if anybody else did. Oh, man. Um, so just kind of to, to, to wrap up a little bit, you know, we, we mentioned that you, you know, your the latest book, uh, The Apollo Murders, just came out just late last year, I believe it is. And then um, you talked a little bit about some things that are coming up, but we wanted to kind of ask you a little bit of what's on the horizon for you and what you have uh, coming up that you're excited about, because it seems like you are never bored or you're, you never are lacking in projects or things going on. So would you share with our listeners kind of what you have on, on uh, coming up uh, that you're excited about? Sure. Uh, well, uh, I work with several space companies, and, and the pace of space exploration is, is just uh, accelerating. So, so there, you know, I work with SpaceX, I work with Virgin Galactic, I work with Momentus, I work with uh, Astrolab, I'm, and then I run a big technology incubator called the Creative Destruction Lab, and, and I run the whole space side of that. And the number of businesses that people are recognizing are now enabled by cheap and easy access to orbit. You know, that's that's really fascinating. Um, and we're going to turn the Apollo murders into either a TV series or a movie. 
And that's that's a really fun project for me. I haven't done that before. And so we're, we're just in final negotiations with the production companies right now to, to have the Apollo murders come to the screen, which will be fun. And I'm writing the, the next book in the series. So uh, once you read the book, you'll see the... Uh, the adventures of Kaz Zemeckis and all of them, Svetlana and all of them. Um, uh, this won't be the last you see of them. So, so I'm, I'm very heads down writing the next book. Um, and my granddaughter is six and uh, she spent Christmas with us. And to me, one of the things I'm most excited about is, is you know, teaching her about the world. She, seeing the world through a six-year-old eyes, I think, is as, as exciting as anything can get. Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. And uh, might not be completely out of line to say the Apollo murders starring Chris Hadfield. Oh, Did they have... no, no, I'm not an actor at all. <laughs> mm, I, I don't th- I think you could put your mind to anything, Chris, and you could do a it. A cameo at least. You gotta have oh, a yeah, who knows? But I, I, I'm, yeah, I, I'm the real thing. I'm not an actor, but but uh, and I got huge respect for the people that can, that can act so well. So we'll see how, how that all goes. But but yeah, that's an, an exciting uh, natural fall follow on to uh to what how the apollo murders has done so uh so yeah that that'll that'll be a fun project for this year but but to to have written fiction and and got it to the international bestseller level to me it's just it's i have to pinch myself to think that 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 could happen and 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 so everything else now is just like wow if we can do that then what else what else can we you know have a try at and see how it goes so (laughs) so yeah i'm very very excited about it well, you have a great story to tell all around. Your journey to space and back and, and your life on Earth is, is truly inspiring. And we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you both. And um, uh, when you do get the Apollo murders in your hands, uh, I hope it keeps you up at night and you just can't finish <laughs> it until you or can't, can't go to sleep until you finish the whole book. That sounds exactly what I need right now, too. This is perfect. Well, thanks so much, Chris. We really appreciate you talking to us today. Pleasure. Nice to talk with you both, and Happy New Year. We've been talking with Chris Hadfield, astronomer, author, artist, and more. For more info about Chris and his work, visit our website, wvxu.org slash looking up. Well, that's it for this 100th episode of Looking Up. Our thanks again to astronaut Chris Hadfield for joining us. And thank you all for listening. We cannot wait for the next 100 episodes with you. And wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find us there. If that happens to be Apple Podcasts, your rating and comments to tell everybody how great we are will really help others find us. So thanks for helping out. And if you like what you hear, definitely spread the word. And we've got to fill the next 100 episodes with all kinds of fun guests and topics. So definitely would love to hear your ideas for those. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter or email us at lookingup at wvxu.org. Our theme song and additional music is by Y, that's W-H-Y question mark, from their album Moline, courtesy of Joyful Noise Recordings and Terror Bird Media. Looking Up is a production of Cincinnati Public Radio. Were produced, recorded, and edited by Josh Elstro. Jim Nolan provides additional web assistance. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Anna Heeman. And I'm Dean Regas. Keep looking up.